listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. In grief, it's common to want our people to be remembered. We work to honor them by sharing stories and photos and documenting who they were and what their lives meant. In this, it's also easy to assume we want our people to be remembered positively for all of their good attributes and contributions. And, as is true with most assumptions, this one isn't totally correct. You've heard me say a thousand times that relationships, even after someone has died, are complicated, because humans are complicated. This assumption that we only want to remember the positive gets even more complex when the person who died harmed us. It's hard enough to figure out when to tell someone that you're grieving, So imagine what it's like to do that when the story you want to tell doesn't fit into the simple narrative of, my dad was great, I loved him a lot, he died, and now I'm devastated. This is exactly what Eddie has dealt with since her father died of suicide in 2021. Even before her father died, Eddie was becoming more aware of the harm she experienced in her relationship with him. After he died, she had to reckon with missing her father while also being confused about why she was missing him. Her father was extremely successful in the world, but he was one way out there and another at home. After he died, Eddie finally had the time and space to process their relationship and to see just how much it had shaped so much of her life, in some ways that were positive and in lots of ways that were harmful. Eddie is committed to talking openly about grief and mental health, And she's also committed to ensuring that people know both sides of her story. I could tell you more, but I really think you should hear it directly from her. Eddie, thanks for being part of Grief Out Loud today. Thank you for having me. What was your relationship with your dad like when you were a kid? I have trouble remembering a lot of my early childhood, um, to be honest. I think it's been a coping mechanism uh, since I have, you know, my dad has been in my life for 23 years. It's hard to process trauma when you're still in it. And so I think one of my coping mechanisms has been to kind of not remember some of my childhood. But I can tell you Uh, My dad did work a lot when I was uh, a child. I remember he would come home from for dinner and then go back to work or sometimes he wouldn't come home at all. So I a lot of my memory is is with my mom rather than my dad. And he was very strict and very particular. Um, My mom would have my sister and I clean up you know, all of our toys, make sure our shoes were in the right spot, everything before he would get home. And I always kind of lived in what I would consider a home to be staged for a magazine, um, not a home that children were, you know, developing and growing up in. Is there a, a particular emotion? Because I know it's hard to remember specific, like, instances or, or memories with your dad when you were a child. 
But is there like an overarching emotion that you connect with being around him as a kid? Anxious. Um, anxious, you know, around the time that he was supposed to come home. Were things put together enough? Did we have a productive enough day? Kind of those sort of sort of questions came into my head. You know, what am I going to tell him? What did I accomplish today that I have to tell him so that, you know, I get some type type of approval or engagement from him. And then as you got older, you know, became a middle school student, a high schooler, what did you start to understand about your dad and your relationship at that point? I very much started to understand that his direct involvement or parenting or acceptance of me was based on how much I did and who I was that he wanted to be, not necessarily what I wanted or who I was, but was I doing the things he wanted for me and approved of? And when I did those things, I got more attention, more praise. So I I learned pretty quickly that if I stuck to this mold he wanted me to be in, then the involvement and the love and you know, kind of the acceptance was going to be greater. Is there an example of one of those times where there might have been something you would have wanted to do, but you chose to do something else because you knew that's what your dad would have been uh, approving of? You know, it's hard to, to say for sure because I grew up in this environment my whole life, so I didn't really have an identity outside of what my dad wanted. So I naturally just chose things that he would want for me because I thought that that was what was best and that was what was going to make me successful. I didn't really have an identity outside of of that. And so I don't really know what I would have chosen or who I would be if he wasn't my dad or if I didn't grow up in that kind of household. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would have chosen different friends because even, you know, my friends were kind of chosen for me. He had to, you know, meet the parents. What was the highest education level of their parents was, you know, like really important to them and things that I look back at now and I'm just like, this, this was not good. So it seems like overall, just a lot of like striving and achieving academically, Were there other realms that he was like really invested in you succeeding in? Yeah, sports. Um, And I and I did. I did achieve really high levels in sports and I did really well in school because if I did those things, then there was some love and attention and praise that I got from him. But as you're talking, it seems like whatever voice that might have been yours, like your unique voice inside of yourself had been shaped and molded from his expectations from such a young age that you sort of lost that thread. Right. And I didn't, I burnout was, was real from a really young age. Like the amount of homework that I did, the amount of time I spent outside of sports practice, practicing that sport, you know, with him on the weekends, like when he got home from work, all of that going to endless lacrosse camps, you know, all of all throughout middle school and high school, traveling all over the country to to be the best. And I can't argue that I wasn't. I was incredibly good. But the burnout was really real. And I desperately wanted to take a nap. But that wasn't 
considered productive. Breaks and self-care and all of those things were not considered productive enough to get you to be successful. Um, And so those things were really absent from my life. And Eddie, at what point did you start to think, maybe this isn't the best setup for me? So it sounds like as a teen, you were like, this is just what I do and I'm succeeding and I'm getting a lot of accolades. And this is, I don't know if you'd use the word great back then, but this idea of like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But when did you start to think like, whoa, maybe there's another way of being? So I grew up um, and I think my dad made it an effort to surround me with other families and other children who were in a similar situation to me, kind of this overachieving environment with unrealistic expectations for young children. Um, And it wasn't till like my sophomore year of high school, when I went to all girls Catholic high school and started meeting people outside of my normal social circle, if you will, that I was like, wow, other people don't live the way I do. This is something seems off. My dad seems off. Um, and that's kind of when I started going to therapy and being told like, you're, you're being abused at home. So I had to leave my, you know, social circle that I grew up in and experience other people's lives and other people's goals for themselves and see the other side of it for me to understand for myself that what I was growing up in and my expectations were not the best fit. And then your dad died when you were 23. So you have a number of years when you're starting to have this kind of revelation and starting to meet with a therapist. And, you know, I know a lot of things changed for you when your dad did die. But prior to his death, like, what were those years, you know, the few years before he died, like for you in relationship to him? I always desperately wanted to have a good relationship with my dad. He was a really successful person in a lot of ways from a career standpoint. And I looked up to him, even though I knew the family dynamic and the expectations that were being placed on me were wrong. I still strived for his approval. So I was very complacent to the abuse. But as I, you know, entered junior, senior year of high school and developed a little more freedom by getting my driver's license and getting to hang out with friends away from our families, I started to become much more secretive, not telling the full story of where I was going or who I was hanging out with. Not that I was a bad kid at all, because I wasn't, but because I knew that he would have something to say. And so that's kind of the pinnacle of our relationship where it got to a point where I needed to have my own friends, my own life and my own identity. And then I wasn't sharing those, those things with him because they weren't what he wanted for me. And then we move into your early twenties and your dad's death. Can you talk with us a little like about those early days or the lead up to his death and then the early days and weeks of grief? Um, Yeah, so I was very much in shock. And I was kind of forced to confront this battle between yes, I was being abused. And now I'm going to come forward more publicly about that. 
um, when previously when he was still alive, it was kind of behind doors. So I was forced to confront that with friends, family, whatnot. And I learned a lot about how bad his mental health was. And I confronted it at that angle, too. So as angry as I was about being abused, I also took the time to grieve and understand that his mental health was kind of the reason for, you know, the way he parented and the way he had relationships with other people and in that sort of thing. How did you come to find out more about your dad's mental health? My mom was able to tell me a lot of it because he was dead and he would threaten her when he was alive. Like if you tell the kids like blah, blah, blah. So she wasn't in a safe space to kind of tell Riley and I these things as a child because he would threaten her. Um, So I learned a lot of it from my mom about him being diagnosed with narcissism in 2002. Um, I learned a lot about his family, which I grew up not knowing anything about his family. I never met them. I maybe could tell you his siblings' names, but they had never had any contact with us. So I learned about how abused he was as a child. His siblings did reach out to my mom and we learned a little bit more there, but she didn't let us meet them. And she was honest and said, the best decision your dad ever made was to make sure that they would never be in your lives. So there was, I think, a lot of abuse on that side of the family. um, And he was protecting us by, you know, hiding that and leaving it out. And I don't have any desire to reach out to them still. So you're you're in this process of learning a lot about your dad and maybe understanding more of what contributed to how he parented you and how he interacted with your mom. And then you're also in grief, you know, that your dad has died of suicide. What do you remember about those first few days, weeks, and months about the grief itself? I was pretty paralyzed. I remember just being in so much shock that I couldn't do my my normal things like eat, sleep, anything. I kind of just sat and s- stared at a wall. I was also a little bit in denial and was very confused on how this happened, just not expecting it, wondering if it was real, you know, wanting to ask him questions that obviously I couldn't, just being confused because of the lack of like answers there were. What were some of those questions you wished you could talk with him about or ask him? Um, I wish I could ask him kind of what was the breaking point? What made you decide that, you know, life was no longer in the cards for you? I want to ask him why he didn't ask for more help. Some of that I can answer myself because he didn't believe in like mental health health or mental health problems or depression or any of that. That wasn't real. That was all in your head um, is what grew up being taught by him. So some of it I can answer myself, but also I want to ask him, if you could go back, would you do it again? I'm wondering too, Eddie, like thinking about growing up with this dad who's so successful 
in his career and has such high standards for you and for your sibling and for your whole family. Uh, my sense would be, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, my sense is that that your dad would seem like a pretty all-powerful person. Does that feel? Yes. And so I just wonder what it's like to sit with the contrast, right, of someone this all-powerful person in, in your life and then someone who, find out, has really struggled with mental health challenges, ends up dying by suicide. Like, that just feels like such a big contrast, especially for someone in their, you know, early 20s. Yeah, it. It is a huge contrast, and I don't think that anyone would disagree with that. I think because he hid so much, we were so shocked by, you know, the outcome or the contrast. It makes me really rethink how I'm living my life now. And goal setting has been really challenging for me since he died because I hadn't really set my own goals for myself. I just let him set them and then I would try to meet them. And I can't say that they were bad. I mean, he did want really high, high places for me um, and had every faith that I was going to be something one day. And so I can't argue that I was set up to be a failure, but I can argue that, you know, even the most successful people struggle a lot and have huge downfalls, just like his situation. And so how, you know, after seeing that, how do I set reasonable goals for myself and use my skills and feel like I have a purpose, but then also making sure that that mental health of, you know, myself and the people around me and having downtime and all of that can be incorporated into my life because money and success is evidently not everything. You really had to broaden like your understanding of what success looks like really beyond just money and maybe like external accolades. Right. So this is a pretty broad question, but what is it like to love and to grieve for someone who was abusive to you? Yeah. It's been very confusing. I really miss my dad. And then I also wonder why I miss him because my life, there is like this sense of relief that like my life is better now with him not in it. And so it's very hard to to feel that, you know, drastic con- uh, contrast as well. Like, loving and missing someone so much. And I still have days where something good happens and I just want to pick up the phone and call him. But then also realizing that my life is easier and I'm healthier without him in it. I find myself often romanticizing who he was and how and wishing he he was here in a way that I, you know, deep down really know he wouldn't be. Wanting him back, but wanting a different version of him back. Like really missing the role of a dad in your life, but the reality of your dad as he was when he was alive doesn't always match up with like what you're longing for. Right. You know, there's a phrase that is out there in the world that makes me cringe. And it's always like the gifts of grief. I'm like, come on. (laughs) But in talking with you, it also seems like there are ways that our lives can change for the better 
when someone dies. And I wondered if you could share a little bit about, you've talked touched on that a little bit, share a little bit more about what that has been like, the ways that maybe your life does feel different in positive ways and what it's like to have that recognition. Uh, yeah, I definitely think that this ultimately has been for the better. I, I also hate that phrase, but um, I think I have much more balance in my life than I did previously. And I'm able to take care of myself and my mental health and still be successful, um, you know, with a career and extracurriculars, whatever you have it, but at a much slower pace. Like it's not a, a race. I'm starting to not have that sense of, you know, everything needs to be done right away. Like you have to get there now. Like, so everything's kind of slowed down. And I think that's been really positive and really healthy for me, especially since that is something I've been working on in therapy, you know, since I was 15 years old and now seeing it actually be able to implement it and execute it in my own life um, has been a really positive experience for me. And I also think that my ability to be trauma informed and advocate for things in the workplace, like private rooms for people, if they, you know, are having a bad day, like they need a private space to make a phone call, talk to someone, you know, and uh, really being trauma informed and advocating for mental health awareness and safety in the workplace. So I think that this experience has has made me show up in a way that ultimately is better for, you know, the world that we live in. So we talked a lot about like your dad, the relationship you had with him, your understanding and how that evolved of of his parenting and you know, the challenges that he faced. And then there's just your grief, which of course is tied up with your dad as well, but just your grief. And you've used the phrase like turning point, that you've experienced some turning points in your grief. And I wonder if you could, you know, give us an example of one or two of those. Yeah. I always talk about how I'm never going to be able to know how to live in a world where my dad doesn't exist, but I'm doing it every day. And I have these little turning points where I'm confident that I can live in a world without him. Um, I can set my own goals, even if they're small, and I can be happy and not have to be productive every second of my life. Doing nothing is still doing something. And so the turning points for me was getting a new job was a huge one feeling like I'm still going to have a career. I'm still going to be a productive member of society without him breathing down my neck that I'm doing it wrong or I need to do it a certain way or that's not good enough. Don't take that job after you're worth you're worth so much more than that. And so not hearing that voice as much anymore has been a huge turning point for me because for a while I was, you know, even with him gone, I was still hearing that voice. And I've had, you know, a turning point in my grief where now I, you know, I'm not hearing that as much and I'm hearing my own voice and taking steps rather than just trying to get to the top. That seems like another really unique aspect of grieving when the person who died was abusive or the relationship was really fraught in some way where 
oftentimes people are like, I just really wish I could, you know, hear my person's voice in my head or imagine what they would share with me about this situation. And it sounds like for you specifically, like being able to turn your dad's voice down has been the most helpful piece. Definitely. A topic that comes up for many people when they've had someone die is like, who shows up and who doesn't for them in their grief? But I'm thinking that in this situation and for people who maybe the person who died had a persona in the outside world and a persona in their inside world within their family, that that can complicate who's showing up and how they're showing up because they have maybe a different image of the person who died, maybe leaving the people who had that internal experience feeling even more alone. And so I wondered what that was like for you. Yeah, that's pretty spot on. Uh, The people that were close enough to, you know, see the abuse and know my dad from a deeper standpoint showed up for me and continue to show up for me. My grandparents are a huge one. And my mom, my mom has also just been very honest uh, about how she's doing and what she needs. And maybe she hasn't been there to to baby me through my grief, but she's been there because she's been very honest that, you know, our grief is not aligning and there's only so much that we can do for each other, but she's, she hasn't hid her own grief. So I've considered that showing up. And I think that people who didn't know who my dad was or didn't know about the abuse or see the inside persona didn't show up because they as soon as they found out, they jumped to this immediate idea that my family was now and forever way too broken to be helped. I would argue that we're less broken now that he's dead than we were when we were trying to live with him. But for people that didn't know what it, what was going on behind closed doors, they're not going to understand that. And so they haven't showed up. Yeah, I'm just picturing you all like at a memorial service or even just friends coming over and everyone being like, your dad was such an amazing guy. He was this, he was that. And like, what did that feel like when people came to you with those assessments of your father? Well, it feeds into, you know, what I said previously about romanticizing who he was. I will find myself, you know, agreeing. I mean, he was a great dude. And then really being brought back to, you know, just the trauma, because I remember who he really was. Um, So, you know, I saw what he looked like on the outside to a lot of people. You know, I was around it. I was around that persona. I was part of that persona. You know, so there's really two versions of my dad, you know, the one that I would go out in the world with, and there was like this, this persona put on. And then the one that I didn't know who was going to come home that night. Um, So I see both sides of it. All I can do is tell my story. I'm not responsible for what people believe that comes out of my mouth. You may have already shared everything you wanted to share about this, but there are there other elements of grieving when the person was abusive that feels important for other people to know about or to understand? Um, I think it's important for people to understand that when you lose someone that was abusive, 
not only do you have to work on your grief, but you have the space to process the trauma that you've endured now that they're not in the picture. And that's really complicated. And not everyone even gets to experience that because it's so hard to get away from someone who's abusive. Um, And so I kind of want people to understand that I'm not just sad all the time because my dad died. I am processing the trauma of growing up with a parent who's narcissistic. It reminds me of, you know, someone, their person dies maybe after being in the hospital for many weeks or some other type of experience where they're just surviving it in the moment. Like the person who ends up being the one who's grieving is just surviving it in the moment. And then months, years later, there's an opportunity to actually reflect on what that experience was like. And it sounds like for you, your dad's death has opened up space to really reflect on your whole life, your childhood, your adolescence with him and the impact of that relationship. And so what could look like, quote unquote, grief to someone else of missing your dad might really be grieving the relationship you never got to have with him or grieving what the relationship was like. Yeah, absolutely. Part of what's made me, you know, I guess successful in my grief isn't really the right term, but I think my grieving process has been easier because I received so much trauma and mental health help surrounding my dad even before he died because of that recognition at a you know out of as a 15 year old sophomore in high school that something was not right at home eddie you know one of the things that comes up a lot for people who are grieving specifically for folks who are kind of in your age range of there's oftentimes meeting new people a lot through work or through friends or through dating and it's already a challenge to come forward with like my mom died or my dad died and this is how the grief is impacting me. And then you, when you're meeting new people, you're coming forward with a very nuanced layered story about that grief. It's not just like, Oh, my dad died and he was great. And he lived, you know, in Rhode Island. There's a lot more to that story as there is for most people. But I'm wondering like, how has that impacted you of meeting new people and wanting them to know about what's impacting you And how do you talk about your dad with them? Yeah, I haven't met that many new people since he died, if I'm being completely honest. Um, I've kept my circle very small and I'm very happy with it. They've all shown up for me. They, you know, let me talk about my dad or the abuse or even just let me miss him and, you know, go through his artwork or whatever it may be. Um, So I haven't met that many new people that are friends or that have joined my circle. But I did start a new job and have a ton of new coworkers. And not very many of them know that part of who Eddie is. There's a few that I have told. I have a coworker who also lost their dad in 2021. um, And we did kind of bond over that. I shared, you know, that my dad committed suicide after they shared that their dad died. So it's not like something I come forward with right off the bat. And I think as people get to know me better, I will share more about it. But I don't want it to define who I am. So I avoid 
social situations where I have to meet new people. And I don't talk. That's not something I talk about first, because I I refuse to be defined by his suicide or by, you know, what he wanted for me or who he wanted me to be. So given all this, Eddie, how how do you want to remember your dad? And how do you want your dad to be remembered? I want to remember my dad, you know, as my dad and someone who really believed that I could do whatever I want. And I truly think he did that. Maybe it wasn't in the healthiest ways, but he always instilled in me that I was smart and successful and talented and all of these things that I want to believe in myself now, or I do believe in myself now. Um, And so I want to remember those moments and the small moments of, you know, him instilling in me the importance of staying in school and getting a degree, all those things that I feel like have set me up for success now. And I want to remember those moments. As far as what I want other people to remember about him, I want people to remember how successful he was. And I want them to remember that it came at a huge cost and that he was abusive. I want them to know and remember that as well. I want there to be both sides of the story. Well, Eddie, as we come to the end of our conversation today, is there anything else you want listeners to know or to understand about you or your situation? I want people to know that they're they're not alone. Suicide is way more prevalent in our world than anyone talks about. So is being in an abusive household. There deserves to be a space to talk about these things. You know, overall mental health and suicide awareness and people that experience those things, it needs to not be talked about in such a a dim light. You know, when you tell someone, oh, I, I have therapy tonight, it shouldn't be a, oh, what's wrong? Well, maybe nothing's wrong. Maybe I'm just getting, you know, the help I need so that I can handle situations that do come up in the future. Or I can be a better mom to my children and make sure that some of the mistakes that were made in my childhood don't become present in their childhood. So I think that I just want people to know that, you know, I hear them, I see them. And, you know, we're going to continue to make positive changes surrounding mental health and suicide awareness. Well, thank you, Eddie, for, you know, sharing your story with me and also with all of our listeners today and for being just so you know, honest and transparent about the complexities that come with grieving for someone who was also abusive in our lives. I'm really grateful for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And listeners out there, I say it each and every single time, but thank you for being part of our community, for making the show mean something, for emailing me, for sharing episodes with people. Um, all the ways that you help make Grief Out Loud what it is. If you do want to email me, you can reach me at griefoutloud at dougie.org. It's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G, which is also our website, where you can find information about our local programming, about grief support groups uh, around the country and the world. 
trained by the Dougie Center, and also all of our free downloadable resources like tip sheets and activities for kids, teens, and young adults. It's also where you'll find all of the past episodes of Grief Out Loud. And I'm excited to share that Grief Out Loud is sponsored in part by the Chester Stephan Endowment Fund. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time.